So hear the word of God, 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the, the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do to you, and, all, and more also, if you hide anything from me that, of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Let's some pray. <clears throat> uh, Father, we know that your word is living and active, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword and penetrates to even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so, Father, as we uh, sit and listen to your word now, uh, we pray, Father, that we would be uh, attentive to uh, your spirit working in our hearts to expose uh, those things where we need to turn from and, and also comforting where we need to be comforted. We pray, Heavenly Father, that 
Yeah, that we would not only um, be able to understand uh, what you are saying to us from this passage, but also, Lord, that we would have a new heart that wants to uh, put it into practice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, back in 2009, I think it was, I moved my family to Melbourne uh, so that I could go to theological college to train to be a pastor. Now, for the first two years, we lived in an apartment at the theological college, which was great because we had this instant community uh, of people from really from every part of the world, it seemed. Uh, we had uh, one of our neighbours was a man from Malawi. Uh, who the Presbyterian Church had brought over to Australia to uh, train him, to send him back uh, to be a missionary. And uh, his name was Michael. Uh, we got to know Michael really well because we had um, shared meals quite often uh, at that place. And uh, he had many fascinating stories of what it was like to grow up in Malawi. And uh, one of the stories that really struck me was uh, the, the time he, he recounted when they went through a um, famine. And uh, he said that back then, at that time, the food was so scarce that people were forced to look for it in places where you normally wouldn't look for food. And he said it actually changed the diet of uh, many people because they discovered uh, food in places like there was this tree that um, they realized you could actually eat the bark and it wasn't too bad. Uh, but the one that actually got me was how eating mice fur, tails and all, actually became a normal part of people's diet uh, during that time. Uh, it was really eye-opening. It actually opened my eyes not just to see the devastation of a famine, but also the desperation that that caused. And uh, when we come to 1 Samuel, um, you need to realise that it starts out like that. There's a famine. But it's not a famine because of food shortage. It's actually a famine a spiritual famine. That's the setting of the start of 1 Samuel because it follows straight on from uh, the book of Judges. And as I keep reminding you, <clears throat> the way the book of Judges ends, you know, no king in those days. Everyone did as they saw fit. It was an absolute mess. And so there was this spiritual famine. And as we've been seeing in 1 Samuel, the cause of that famine was actually the leadership of the time. Eli, the priest, was the judge says in chapter 4 that he judged Israel for 40 years. And under his leadership, things really fell apart because Eli's loyalty to God was divided. We saw that last week. Uh, his sons, who were also priests, they were working in the very centre of Israel, in Shiloh, where the tabernacle was set up. And they were corrupt. They were using people, abusing people. They were stealing offerings that were supposed to be uh, sacrifices for God. And they were uh, committing immorality in the tabernacle. And now we see at the start of chapter 3 that there's also a famine of God's word. It says God's word was rare in those days. And so you're starting to see that these were dark days for the people of God. That's why the nation was in such a mess. Uh, it's no surprise that the book of Judges ends in the way that it does. And yet, as we've been seeing in 1 Samuel, God was on the move at this time. He was unfolding a brand new chapter in his whole plan 
of redemption. And here we see in this passage that his, his new, the new step in his plan, it begins with the coming of his word. The coming of his word. That's what this passage is about. God breaks the silence, so to speak. And so what this passage teaches us, how important it is to have God's word. How important God's word is in the life of his people. And so I want to look at this passage with you in three parts today. Uh, the first section, verses 1 to 10, it shows us God's word come to the nation. Uh, then we see in uh, verses uh, 11 to 18 how God's word searches. And then in the last bit, God's word never falls, never falls to the ground. So first, God's word comes. Uh, so verse 1, that sets the scene by telling us that you know, Samuel was there ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. No frequent visions. And it's interesting that it says that at this point because, you know, if you remember from last week, the end of chapter 2 was a whole lengthy, uh, well, it was a word from the Lord. You know, an unnamed prophet came to confront Eli about all of the uh, problems uh, that were going on with his leadership. But that was unique because apart from that word... The word of the Lord was rare. So the nation at this time, they were really in darkness. No light of God's word. And we can see in the way that the, the, the next step, the way it's set up, you can see that it's saying more than just setting a backdrop for what is about to happen. Because if you notice, the end of verse 1, it says there were no frequent visions. And then in verse 2, we get this random information that Eli's vision was fading. He could hardly see. And you put those two things together, you realize it's actually making a point about the condition of both Eli and the situation under his leadership that they couldn't see. In fact, with Eli, it was like the blind leading the blind. What happens when the blind lead the blind? What did Jesus say? Both fall in a pit. That's what's been happening in Israel because they didn't have God's word. God's word wasn't front and center. And that was because of the corruption of Eli's leadership. And what we see is that sometimes, as an act of judgment, God withdraws his word from his people so that they are left like stumbling around in the dark. And that actually is a principle that's unpacked later on in the Bible. If we have a look at this uh, passage from Amos, uh, where in Amos 11, uh, God, he says to the nation who had turned from him, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. See, it's a terrible thing to have the word of God taken away from his people. And yet we see in, in Samuel, even though that's the situation, there is a glimmer of hope because look at verse 3. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And again, it's, it's painting a picture. It's, yes, it's setting the backdrop. So th here's something that happens at night time where there's this lamp inside this dark room. And yet... Because of the, the, the darkness that the nation was in under Eli's leadership, we can see that verse 3, it has this, 
double meaning. It's almost like it's saying that Samuel is actually the light dawning. That God is doing something with this young man who is growing up in his very presence. This is the, the, the way out. This is the light shining in the darkness. And then that plays out in verses 4 to 10 where God calls Samuel. It takes God four goes to get there, but he eventually gets him. <laughs> uh, it's quite, it is actually quite funny because you know, he keeps thinking it's Eli and running to Eli and you know, you've called me. And Eli must have been so confused because he's thinking, what, is someone else out there playing funny games? Uh, the third time Eli, it finally dawns on him, ah, maybe this is God. And so he tells Samuel what to say. Fourth time, God comes to Samuel. He calls him Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel responds. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. <clears throat> now, what is God calling Samuel to do? What is the calling for? It's, he doesn't tell us here, but when you get to the end of the chapter, you realize that this is God calling Samuel to be a prophet that Samuel is going to have this, this unique role in Israel where he would be the mouthpiece of God for the nation. He would bring the word of God to the nation. And so we see that with Samuel, no longer will God's word be rare because Samuel will speak the word. So God's word has come. And so do you see what this passage is saying? It's saying that God's answer to the mess that Israel was in his answer is what? His word. But that's what his people need first and foremost. In all of the chaos and confusion of the day, what do we need? We need God's word. In fact, I think we could put it like this. We cannot survive without the word of God. And uh, that was true back then, obviously. But it's just as true today. And I, I think it's pretty easy to prove I'll give you two examples. What happens when a society has no influence by the Word of God? I mean, what has happened to Western society over the last 200 years where we have seen a rejection of the heritage that, that Western society did have that was influenced by the Word of God? Now, it's not like everyone was Christians back 200 years ago, but there was an influence by the Word of God on society. What's happened now that that influence has been rejected? It's fallen apart. We're so divided as a society. Uh, we see a society full of immorality. That's what defines Western society now, immorality. And as a result, what do you have? A whole heap of brokenness. Broken families, broken lives, brokenness everywhere. Now you can see this principle even more clearly in a church or even in a whole denomination where the word of God is cast aside. You know, where other endeavors overshadow the preaching and the teaching of the Bible. And when that happens, what happens to the church? It falls apart. There's no life left because we cannot survive without the word of God. And that, of course, happens in individuals as well when the Word of God is not at the centre of your life, it doesn't go well. And so we actually need to realise, like this passage is showing us, the wonderful blessing, the wonderful act of mercy it is for God's Word to come to us, for God's Word to come to you. See, if His Word is rare, 
Everyone stumbles around in the dark. But when his word comes to you, that is a great blessing. That is a great act of mercy. So how does God's word come then? How does God's word come to us? Because if you look at Samuel, how did it come to Samuel? It was an audible voice. You know, God spoke directly to him, and then he would go out and pass that word on to the people. And when you look at that, you can see clearly that's showing us God didn't speak audibly and directly to everyone in the nation. He spoke to one person who had a very particular role, and that one person then spoke that word to others. Uh, this is something that we saw in the book of Deuteronomy that was established under Moses. Remember that reading that Sharif brought from Deuteronomy 18 where um, you know, Moses said that the way God is going to speak to you, he'll raise up a prophet like me. And you've got to listen to him. And now we see, well, here's one example of that. It's not the ultimate fulfillment of what Moses was talking about, but this is one example of a prophet that God would raise up he would be the one that they would listen to and hear God speaking through him. And so Samuel had this unique role in that land. Uh, this, this really was a major transition for the nation. This is like a new thing because God is setting up the office of a prophet. And really, Samuel was the first of his kind because the office of the prophet from this point on was really to be an overseer of the king. So the nation are about to um, have a king, but the king wouldn't be there just doing everything he likes. He would be accountable and under the oversight of the prophet who would keep him accountable to God's word. And so we have this major transition. This is a unique role. And I just point this out because I hope you can appreciate that the way Samuel heard from God is not what we will, you know, it's not what we should expect to hear today. We're going to obviously encounter God's word differently to, uh, to Samuel because we're not prophets like Samuel. Uh, in fact, the New Testament takes this even further to show us the culmination, you know, what, what the way God spoke through Samuel and even Moses and others, what all of that was pointing to. And that was why I also got Sharif to read that second reading from Hebrews Let's um, get that up on the screen again. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Do you see, Jesus, he is the final revelation from God. The most complete revelation. The word. The word in the flesh. That's Jesus. And uh, so we see that all that the prophets, all that the scriptures pointed to has come in Jesus. And so there's a sense in which there's a finality to God speaking in the coming of Jesus. But we also see with Jesus that he commissioned his apostles to pass that revelation on to the church. And that's what we have in the New Testament. Anyway, I'm really giving you a whole big overview on uh, the Bible's teaching on how it is that we should expect to hear God talk to us. Because God, he speaks, that's how we get to know him. But how should we expect to encounter his voice? There's one place, it's right here in the scriptures. You want to hear God speaking? 
This is how he speaks. He speaks through his word. That's why uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. So how do we hear God? How do we get to know God? We listen to the scriptures. And that means that all of us uh, should have this attitude toward the Bible that we see in Samuel when he said to God, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Okay, whenever we open up the scriptures, we should be praying, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Because this is how God speaks to us. So we see we are in a very different time to Samuel, but our need for God's word is just as great. We cannot survive without God's word. And for us, we have that complete word in the scriptures, and therefore we need to give our attention to it. Okay, if God's word is rare today, it's not because God is silent. If God's word is rare today, it's because people don't want to listen. But people close their ears. And for us here, we have God's word. But it can still be, tr- it can still be rare in your life if you don't get into the Bible. Okay, or if you come here and don't listen then God's word is rare in your life, which is a horrible thing. You stumble around in darkness. So do you realize the wonderful privilege it is to have the word of God? And if it is such a privilege, then we need to make the most of it. We need to be people of the word. So that's the first thing. God's word comes. God's word has come to us today. Now, the next thing we see in this passage is that when God's word comes, it's a searching word. It searches and tries. Uh, to put it another way, when in Samuel's case, when he brought that word, or when God brought that word to him, it was a word that exposes and judges sin. And we see that in this next section in verses 11 to 18. So let's have a look at verse 11. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle, On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So here we have this this message of judgment. And in this message, we are reminded again that God is righteous, that he is a God who must punish sin. Okay, Because God is righteous, he must punish sin. Otherwise, he would cease to be who he is. And Eli and his sons, uh, the, the message that God gives to Samuel is that they are going to receive exactly what their sins deserve. God is not being harsh with Eli and his sons by talking about this this punishment forever. He's actually telling Samuel that he's going to treat Eli and his sons very fairly. He's going to give them exactly what they deserve. And uh, that's because God is righteous. He must judge sin. But we also see an allusion to God's grace here because there is a mention of atonement. At the end of verse 14, God he does mention the idea of, of iniquity being atoned for by sacrifice and offering. 
And so what that means, it's showing us that God in his grace, he has made a way to punish our sin without punishing us. And that way that he has made was a sacrifice. And so before Jesus came along, that sacrifice, it was an animal. An animal would be slaughtered. The blood would be, would be uh, sprinkled over this, this uh, ark in the covenant, the ark of the covenant in, in the tabernacle. And that symbolized, the shedding of blood symbolized that that sin had been paid for and therefore taken away. And that was God's way of providing a way where he could punish the sin of his people without punishing them. But in the case of Eli, we, we notice in verse, in verse 14, God says that he will not do that for Eli and his household. Why not? Well, we know from the last chapter because Eli and his sons were treating the sacrifice kind of like an all-you-can-eat meal, not just taking whatever they liked and eating it. When that was, that was wrong, that was against God's law. He had very clear laws about how the sacrifices were to be done. And so they were treating the offerings with contempt, which is another way of saying that they were rejecting the only provision that God had made for their sins to be forgiven. They were rejecting it which is why they would be, have to pay for their own sins. And do you realise that is actually the same message that is true today? Because God hasn't changed. God is the righteous God, the God who must punish our sin, or he would cease to be God. Right? But he is the God of... Well, hang on, before I say that, notice actually... When, when, it, when we talk about God punishing sin, did you notice the forever language in these verses? Did you notice in verse 13? I'm about to punish the house of Eli forever. Verse 14, the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Forever. Do you know this is something that Jesus himself spoke of more than anyone else? That our sin is so bad that nothing less than eternal punishment can satisfy God's wrath against our sin. But there is good news because God, he is a gracious God. And like I said, he has made a way to satisfy his holy wrath against our sin without punishing us. And that, of course, is through the sacrifice of his own son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now what the message to Eli highlights is that if you reject Jesus, if you say, that's not for me, do you realise that you will have to face the punishment of your sin forever? See, if you reject Jesus, you're actually doing what Eli and his sons were doing to the sacrifices, treating them with con contempt. And that's the only way to be forgiven. And so if you reject Jesus, you'll have to face the punishment forever. Now, that, that's a devastating word. A devastating word for Eli. It's a devastating word for those who reject the Saviour. 
And you can understand at the time why Samuel was so afraid to tell Eli this message. Because Eli was like a dad to him. So you can imagine the anguish Samuel felt to hear that message that Eli would face the punishment of his sins forever. You can see why Samuel was reluctant to tell him. And you can imagine uh, that, that morning when Samuel, I'm sure he wouldn't have slept that night, uh, morning came and you could imagine him avoiding Eli. Maybe he didn't go down to breakfast like he normally did. Uh, maybe his Cocoa Pops went soggy that morning. Um, but Eli, he doesn't let Samuel off the hook. He goes and finds him. He calls him and says, you tell me or else. And so it's verse 18. Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. It seems to be a, 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 um, you know, the beginning of something, a motto for Samuel's life, that he would speak God's word without hiding anything. No matter how hard that word was, Samuel would speak it faithfully as God's prophet, even if it was a hard word. right? Because God's word, it is, it's a searching word. And so for us today, when God's word comes to us, it comes as a searching word. You know, whether we're in a setting like we are right now, hearing the word preached, or whether you are in a Bible study, or whether you're in your own personal Bible reading, God's word, it's a searching word. Uh, like Hebrews, uh, his word is living and active. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so whenever we come to God's word... We must come with this expectation that God is going to deal with us. He's going to expose our hearts. And so if there is sin in your life that you're hanging on to, or if you've turned away from God in, in some way, God, through his word, is going to make you uncomfortable. He's going to make you uncomfortable until you turn back to him. Uh, for those who are uncomfortable because of sin, who feel that sense of you know, help, What's God's word going to do for you? It's going to be a comfort. It's going to point you to the Savior where your sins are forgiven. Uh, for those who are afflicted by suffering, God's word comes as a comfort. That's how he deals with you. Uh, it's been said that God's word, he, his word afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. And so there's a sense in which whenever we come to God's word, we should come with that expectation that God is going to search us he is going to work in our hearts. Um, but there's also another application from uh, the way Samuel spoke the word. Uh, for those who teach the Bible, like I'm doing right now, and the application there is that uh, we must speak it openly and hide nothing, even if that might offend. Now, I've just told you as a congregation that if you reject Jesus, you will, you'll go to hell forever. That's a hard word. You know, I, I don't enjoy telling you that. I don't find that fun. It's, it's actually uh, hard. There's nothing easy about that. But I have to tell you that because that's what God says. And if you ignore that, you're ignoring, not me, you're ignoring God. And see, that's the truth you need to embrace before you will see your need for the the salvation that comes, you know, if you're a sinner who is on your way to eternity in hell and you accept that, now you know your need for a saviour. <laughs> There's no other way but Jesus. 
And so, you know, those who speak God's word, don't hide anything. Tell it. Whether it offends, whether it's hard, of course we want to do that in love. But there is a sense in which we need to be like Samuel. Just speak God's word clearly and openly. Okay, so God's word comes, God's word searches. The final thing we see here is that God's word never falls. uh, Never falls to the ground. And uh, the the passage ends with really a summary of, of Samuel's role as a prophet. So it says Samuel in verse 19, He grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Uh, So the passage sort of ends where it began. It began by saying God's word was rare, but now with Samuel called as a prophet, God's word is abundant. It came to all of Israel. Um, But what I want to do is just focus on this phrase where it says that Samuel grew in verse 19 and, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. None of Samuel's words fell to the ground. What does that mean? Do you know that's a phrase that's used to describe God's word in the book of Joshua. So when God uh, gave the people the promised land, Joshua says in a couple of places, that the reason this has happened is because none of God's words fall. God's words don't fall. What does that mean? Uh, When I was about seven or eight years of age, I, uh, well, the family I grew up in, we had a um, family friend who worked for Armaguard. And Armaguard is a company that transports large quantities of cash between uh, shops and banks. And uh, part of this uh, fellow's uniform was to carry a handgun. And I remember this one time when um, our family went to visit this family and, and, and this bloke, he was showing my dad his handgun. And as you do, you take it out the back and try it out. <laughs> I don't know if they were meant to, but I remember they, they took um, the gun. They, they lived out of town, so it was all safe, I think. Uh, and they went out and they tried to shoot a target. And so this guy, he pulled out the handgun and he, and he shot it, and it kind of went off. But then as he lowered the gun, the bullet just rolled out and fell out of the end of the barrel. And it just fell to the ground. I don't know why. Maybe the bullets were, um, there was something wrong with them. Uh, probably a good thing he worked that out there and not in another altercation. But the point of this story is that verse 19 is saying that God's word is never like the bullet in that handgun. God's word never, it's never just a big noise without any action. God's word is like a bullet that flies through the air and always hits its intended target. That's what verse 19 is saying about God's word. None of God's words fall to the ground. That's why when Samuel spoke God's words, none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. Why? Because they're actually God's words. They always achieve what God intends. And that's why we see when God pronounces judgment, judgment happens. When God promises forgiveness, forgiveness happens. 
when God makes a promise, it doesn't matter if the whole world gangs up against him and tries to do everything they can to thwart his promise. It always comes to pass because none of God's words fall to the ground. They always achieve the purpose for which God sent it. Remember Isaiah 55 verse 11. They, God's words don't return empty and void. They always accomplish that which he purposes and succeed in the thing for which he sent it. So whether God's word was in the mouth of Samuel or whether it's on the pages of scripture, it never falls to the ground. Always achieves the purpose. And so that means that you can absolutely trust God's word. You can stake your life on it. You know, it means when God says something like Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can trust that. That's going to happen. That means when you get to the end of your life, you're not going to discover that, oh, it wasn't true after all. No, it's true. No condemnation. In fact, right now, there might be days where you, you feel like you've failed and you feel like you're condemned. But God's word is true. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, when you're in a trial and God says in his word, my grace is sufficient for you, that means you will cope. You will cope because God's word never falls to the ground. When God says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, his church will never be stamped out because his word never falls to the ground. Do you see? You can trust his word. You can stake your life on it. And therefore, what should be our attitude to the word of God? Embrace it. Take hold of it. Stand on it. Uh, Paul told the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, be, be in God's word every day. You know, it says man does not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What a blessing that God's word has come to us. May we make the most of it. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a God of mercy and you haven't left us in the dark. We thank you, Father, that you have provided your word to this land and we thank you that we have it in abundance. And yet, Father, we know that uh, it is easy to neglect, that we can easily focus on other things in life so that your word remains uh, rare in our lives. Uh, so, Father, we pray that today that we would be uh, reminded of how wonderful it is to have your word and how valuable it is. And, Lord, we pray that each one of us here would, would make it central. Uh, we ask, Father, that as a church, that we would not get distracted from uh, preaching and teaching your word. We pray that... Uh, you would work powerfully uh, through that to equip us uh, for works of service, that we would be a people who, who do your will, Father, and who shine brightly for you in this dark world. Uh, we pray also, Heavenly Father, for those who are trying to take your word to the ends of the earth, that you will bless them in that. Uh, we pray, Lord, that many uh, who are in darkness and who are lost will hear your word, calling them to come to Christ. And we pray that you would work powerfully uh, through that as well. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.